Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. So I'm great with numbers, but luckily I don't really, doesn't really come into it that much. But yeah, mostly What's your favorite number? My favorite number. That's a very good question. Uh... Hmm. No, that's a stupid question. Let me let me ask I like you a better question. Any 17. number. If it's got a seven in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a better question. Yes. Um, you have to guess. I'm go- I'm going to think of a number between one and ten, and you have to guess if I'm really thinking of a number between one and ten, <laughs> or if I'm just pretending that I'm thinking of, num- of a number between one and ten. <laughs> <sighs> Okay, so I better I better let you run the show. It's your show. That's fine. That's fine. But uh, it's uh, you know, it, it, feel free to interrupt. That's kind of the point of the okay. show. You know. Uh, right. So we'll start out. When you, are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Yeah. I think yeah. we're going. Um, so the year is 1965. The album is right. in one head and out the other, and in parentheses is the new emerging bigot. The artists Burns and Schreiber, Avery Avery Schreiber and Jack Burns, and my guest, my guest is Jonathan Katz. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, so you picked this album, and while I might be loosely familiar with Burns and Schreiber, I had never heard this album, which, by the way, very short album, Un- unexpectedly short. Yeah. Uh, less than 25 minutes, I think. Uh, uh, really? But, yeah, and I, I, w- I was actually quite shocked. Uh, it's got a great cover uh, because it's, it's, it's the cab driver uh, sketch right. on the cover. I think that's the routine with which they're most associated is the right, the, right, is the and cab. It, it and it's it's a great bit. It's a long both uh, basically the album is two bits except for the make a song at the very end. It's the cab driver and the conventioneer on one side. One whole side is a thirteen minute track. Where did you first hear this album? I think it was, um, you know, I was into comedy with through my my cousin Paul. And I were, got into comedy together. Lenny Bruce and Burns and Schreiber, uh, and then my sister introduced me to music com- musical comedy like uh, Tom Lehrer. Sure. Um, but Burns and Schreiber also, the first time I ever got on stage was in New York City at a, at a club called Hillies, uh-huh. where I think you know it was in the West Village in New York. And David Mamet and I got on stage and tried to do Burns and Schreiber because we didn't have any material of our own. And we lasted about 30 seconds. <laughs> 30 seconds before you realized you couldn't do it anymore or 30 seconds before they booed you off stage? No, I think I, I think David probably could have gone a minute because mm-hmm. he was better, better prepared than me. But I, I, as soon as I realized that I had to remember stuff. Right. I was done. <laughs> Were you try, did you try and do this bit? Do you remember the bit you tried to do? I think we tried to do the cab, taxi cab. <laughs> um, but uh, the, re- the one of the reasons I love them in retrospect is that they cut each other off. That I'm sure they were, they had a real, I doubt that they worked with the script, but they, but they, we're such an amazing team. Sure, yeah. And um, I think the the track that I really fell in love with was the one about the faith healer because so many comedians have done that, including Robin Williams. Yeah. And I don't think anyone's done it this well. 
Right. Yeah. And it's uh, it's layered, uh, to say the least. And, and yeah. the idea that I mean, you you talk about, uh, be, I mean, it, I, I it seems like something. It's so conversational that you would think, yeah, sure, I could memorize this and do it. I, I've got this in my head. And then I think the yeah. second you realize how complex this is, even if it's born out of improv, how complex this is is kind of overwhelming. But you could, Jason, you could call up right now my cousin Paul mm-hmm. and, and David Mamet and ask them to make the sound of the communist frog. <laughs> and both of them would say, Boodoo Relief, my friends. <laughs> it's just such an insane sound. And the idea that there were communist frogs living in, was it supposed to be happening in Florida? I think that's. I think so, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so I guess they were. This was in, set in a time when it was not very hip, hip to be a communist. Right. And oddly enough, both of my parents were. Really? Yeah, my parents were both uh, subpoenaed by the House on American Activities Committee. And they the, both both pled the fifth. That is more than yeah. upsetting. So, so I, I mean... Neither of them believed in the communist frog. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, it means it means a lot to me on a bunch of different levels, but mostly comedically, yeah. which is so funny. Is there... Uh, so and I'm guessing, yeah. I'm guessing, Jason, that this is, this is going to be interspar- interspersed with some of the album itself. Yeah, I normally, uh, throughout the episode, every 10 minutes or so, I'll throw a clip of 30 right. seconds to a minute in so that people can get an idea of what we're talking about, including, like, you know, spe- especially if there's a specific beat or a specific, uh, you know, character moment that, that you right. like. I always like to point that out to right. people so they can hear what you're talking about. Uh, I think the one thing that, that, that stood out, uh, f- or th- at least is, is in my memory, is the one thing that my mother always used to quote, which was just the... You know the yeah, you know the cutting off of one oh, another yeah. just as a bit, just that that was an that that could be a bit is kind of kind of wonderful, and you, you definitely see a little yeah. a lot of um, makes me think of just about anything that uh, Christopher Guest and and, and uh, Billy Crystal did on SNL. They they yeah. they really took a lot from this, which is fine, but uh, right. you you can you can hear that influence pretty clearly too. Yeah, and also they were based in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I think they, uh, Jack Burns and Avery Schreiber, I think. They came out of Second City. Yes, that's right. Um, so I, you know, I was also around the time listening to Nichols and May. Sure. Um, uh, Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira. Mm-hmm. And I got to work with Jerry Stiller. I made a movie with him. That's all. That's see. That's amazing. A wonderful movie called The Independent, where. Janine Garofalo was my love interest, although she would say it was just a bad date. <laughs> That's fantastic. But you should try to see that movie if you ever can, because it's he portrays a guy who made really bad movies uh-huh. and knew it. And he and somebody offered to buy his entire entire catalog and pay him by the pound. <laughs> Um, and you can see a scene from that on my website. 
I'm, I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm surprised okay. I haven't seen it. Um, I there's there's a point where I watched everything Janine Garofalo was in, uh, so I'm surprised I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, is uh, you know the is the the cab driver? I'm sure I've heard it before, but I had never obviously heard the entire thing. Do yeah. you is is there something specific? Not necessarily about this bit, but about this album that made you pick it. Was I mean how how many how many albums did you listen to before you heard this? I want an exact number. <laughs> yeah, forty-three. <laughs> um, what kind of stuff were you listening to before? Did this change the kind of comedy you listened to, or was this the kind of stuff yeah, you were listening no, I, to at the I time? Think, I think Lenny Bruce was the first comedy album I listened to. Mm-hmm. Len, Lenny Bruce live at Carnegie Hall. Sure. Some people think it's one of his worst, but I, I happen to love it. And um, and then I guess I don't think I had discovered Woody Allen at that point. Um, but and then as a kid, I listened to funny songs, the songs that my sister thought was funny. Mm-hmm. Like there was a song about the railroad goes to the middle of my house, which you probably don't know. I do not know that one. Yeah, and um, I guess, jeez, uh, I, you know, I was a kid in the fifties. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was listening to a podcast with doc- your podcast with Doctor Demento, who I think is a little bit older than me. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. But I did recognize some of his references. Sure, which scares me. <laughs> um, well, I mean, Spike Jones. You, you, you the, there was a good twenty twenty five year period where you couldn't not know who he was, and then yeah, oddly I, fell I, off the I map was, for the rest of us. I was aware of him. I, I was trying to convince my wife that she would love Spike Jones. Mm-hmm. That was not a success. <laughs> she does love me, however. Well, see, there you go. That's at least nothing changed. Yeah. God, God cannot win this battle against the atheistic, communistic conspiracy without your help. God needs your financial aid in this struggle <laughs> against the communists. God needs your help. God knows God needs your help. <laughs> my friends, my program, The Word of Truth, is broadcast to 150 stations throughout the United States and Canada. And of course, I need your financial aid to continue this battle against the atheistic communistic conspiracy. So we ask you to send whatever you can, be it a penny, a dime, or a dollar, to Kill a Commie for Christ, Box 224. <laughs> Box 224, Tulsa, Oklahoma. You do it today, you'll feel better for it tomorrow. Here, my friends. My friends, we have with us this week, as we do every week, many poor, unfortunate, handicapped, individual Christian brothers. Good Lord has seen fit. Good Lord has seen fit to strike them down during Passover. Why, we do not know. That's a, it. He is, I wouldn't necessarily say an acquired taste, but a, a taste for a certain type of mind. I do think you have to be either a comedy lover or of the period or both in order to appreciate it. Maybe. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But that's what it felt like to me because it took me a second to, to get into what it was and, and to understand them. But, you know, that's that's kind of well, what but I this, do. This guy that I introduced you to, Jeff Martyr, is that yes. his Yes, yes. I believe he so. also, when I, when I did stand up with him on the road, anytime we had any time off, he would go looking for flea markets that sell with old... I guess they weren't that old at the time. This is, well, in the 80s... Mm-hmm. 33s were pretty uh, scarce of comedy. Right. 
And I I found Woody Woodbury, which I tried to listen to and I couldn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I heard Phil, is it Phil Kendry or Henry? Phil Hendry, yeah. He said he was talking about how wonderful he was. Yeah, it's so it's such a it's such a mixed bag when you when you interview people the kind of stuff that they're yeah. going to love and not. I mean, uh, that's why I'm not a. Uh, I used to be a real big snob about highbrow and lowbrow, and then sort of realized yeah. that that doesn't really. That's a useless definition, at least for me. It doesn't help. But me I, anymore. I did discover through your podcast that I have so much in common with that guy, with Phil Hendry. Yeah. Oh, he's just, he's wonderful. Just in terms of aud- really loving audio and comedy and, yeah and but i was amazed to hear that he does his podcast in real time and he does all all the voices himself with no editing it's upsetting and and to watch him do it because you can watch him do it online just the speed with which he does it the fluidity with which he does it yeah. uh, seeming ease but obviously you know there's there's no way that uh there's no way it's not complex for him still but just it does not seem to be and it's it's good god and that it's all improvised i don't know how he does it at all yeah Hey, Jason, do you do any accents yourself? Uh, on occasion, if it's called for. Can you do a British accent for me? Uh, what would I be saying and, and, and what, just what part of say, England um, am I from? Just if you could say, uh, um, this is a, if you can introduce me with a British accent, that would be great. Or, oh, or sure. just Or just tell me your name with a British accent is even better. Oh, okay, sure. Hello, this is Jason Klum with the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. Here with me today is Jonathan Katz. And what about a French accent? My French accent is for garbage. It would sound exactly the same as the English. <laughs> well, do it then. Uh, no. um, <laughs> um, can you do other any other accents? Hmm. Hmm. Reliably? Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I am from upstate New York, but if you do an upstate New York accent, it's like oh, it's it's like every other, you know, every what, other what? strip along the Appalachians. What town in upstate New York? Lawrence, New York. Near Oneonta, near Cooperstown. Oh. You know this town, Scaniatilis? Yes, I do. You know, it's a hotbed of comedy talent. This is what I'm told. Yeah, Bobcat Gothwick, mm-hmm. Barry Crimmins, John, Tom Kenny. Mm-hmm. They all grew up there. So I, weird. I keep waiting to get them on the show as well because yeah. at the, it's, it, you don't find a lot of upstate names in in the comedy world. At least not as yeah. many as I would expect. It's not the you know, it's not the '30s anymore. So uh, there's not as lot a lot of people in upstate doing comedy. But uh, yeah, those those two well, guys are hilarious. Let, let's go back to Burns and Shrub. Let's do I'm it. Too easily distracted. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember. I think. Oh, are they on Columbia Records? This one that I'm looking at is a Columbia record, yes. This one is Yeah, because that's how it happened, because my uncle, my cousin Paul's father, was an art director at Columbia. Really? And he would bring home uh, reel-to-reels of Nat King Cole, and uh, he did the artwork for Dylan. Wow. And brought home the uh, Burns and Schreiber album one day. And he found me... He loved me, but he found me so annoying. <laughs> um, and and the fact that my cousin Paul and I were borrowing his reel-to-reel tape recorder just to pretend we're Burns and Schreiber <laughs> drove him nuts. And we also recorded scenes from Mad Magazine. That's fantastic. Yeah. I have my whole life on audio, which is 
Just in case you ever want to know what it sounded like as, as when I was eight. Can I tell you, I, I absolutely do, and I'm the exact same way. Uh, I've been doing the same thing since I was a kid. I have an entire podcast dedicated to sketches I was doing when I was 13 with my best friend. Oh, really? Yeah. We have like 50 VHS tapes worth of garbage that we thought was really funny at 13. Yeah. Had your voice changed? Not much. A little bit. Yeah. Considerably. I think I mean it's a different kind of be of hoarding, but it's if you archive it online, it's not so bad. Yeah, I know. I feel it feels like it has more of a purpose because you know nobody has to come see your crap, but they can if they want. Yeah, and also I think the sound of someone's voice means more than their image. To me, do you think it, it uh, emotionally or what? Yeah, no, emotionally, it's, I think it's more potent. In, f- in fact, I, I spent a year of my life trying to find the sound of my mother's voice. And that journey ended up on This American Life. That's amazing. So going um, through all of your old tapes just to hear her somewhere yeah, directly on uh, mic or in the background? And no, it was just, you know, she would play the piano and I'd play the violin. And whenever somebody called our home, they always thought she was Mr. Katz. She was a smoker. <laughs> Uh huh. Um, but she died when when I was very young, and mm-hmm. so for me it meant a great deal to hear her voice. Oddly enough, the piece that Ira Glass did was more about my sister and I going back to our homes in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. He was not interested in my mother's voice at all. <laughs> so how how much is of, of that whole piece is in there? Any of it? Uh, none. None. No. Ah, that's too bad. That's, do you but have I, that posted online somewhere? I hope. That That's on in the um, This American Life archives. Oh, okay. It was called for uh, Return to Childhood. It was a segment in that. And it was, it was at least 10 years ago or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, having these, uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's one of the purposes of this show, too. I mean, obviously, we don't get to, there aren't LPs of uh, too many comedians when they were eight to when they were, you know, in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. But there is, it it always means something to us at the time. Is there something that this correlates with in your life? Or, I mean, I could be jumping to conclusions there, but is there anything that this reminds you of? Does it remind you of uh, getting on stage with David Mamet, or does it remind you of being a... a you know, just your friendship as a kid. Are you talking about Burns and Schreiber? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It does remind me of my connection to my uncle Abe, my cousin Paul, to mm-hmm. David, to comedy, um, and I think even to Doctor Katz because one of the things about Doctor Katz, which was fun, was that we were allowed to interrupt each other. Yeah. You know, no. There was no no uh, no conceit to manners, you know. It was just totally people talking over each other, and occasionally stop. You st- would stop talking talking because you were laughing so hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm sorry, I'm. 
I apologize for the silence. I know it doesn't play well. No, it's okay. I mean, you're thinking. I mean, I, I hope people yeah. understand that what I'm... I, I actually panic whenever I pause on this show, and I just try and cover it with speaking and then forget what I was talking about, so worry do you, not. Do you, do you edit the audio yourself? I do. I do. I don't edit a whole lot, uh, unless right. there's something where somebody really doesn't want something in there. So if, you know, if yeah. any, any racial epithets come out of either one of us, I'll try and cut them out. Yeah. Are, are you married? I am. Uh, if you could just remove this from the broadcast. Mm-hmm. I slept with your wife. Oh, oh. I will make sure to definitely remove it. I'll, okay. I'll bring, should I bring it up with her, or should we just leave it as no, it happened? No. But okay. I, I actually slept. Oh, I, I oh, was okay. exhausted. Do you have kids? I do not. How long have you been married? Uh, let's see. Uh, two, uh, two and a few months. Two years and a few months. Oh, can you say that with a German accent? No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm asking too much of you. <laughs> you know, the reason I'm asking about these accents is because in in my next podcast, I'm going to portray a guy that has a voiceover agency. Uh huh. So this is going to come in very handy. That's pretty weird. Well, we the of the land. That's not so weird. No, it, it, we don't do it. It sounds good. Once in a while, you'll get a free hey, no, Not you, buddy. <laughs> That's all right. Hold it up there now, as long as you believe. That's from the bottom. All right. Okay, yeah. All right. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, look at here. Oh, Lord, he has a twisted left hand. Lord, he is sorry. Oh, Lord, I believe he is sorry. And, and, and Lord, I ask you now to please, in front of all my witnesses, Lord, to please make that one hand like the other. Lord, I beg of you, make that one hand like the other. Lord, please make that one hand like the other. Something's Lord, I, Something's you know, Oh, my God, he did. <laughs> Wait a minute. You got the wrong hand here. A little more faith. A little more faith. Move along. Move along. Move along. Put some money in the pot there in the way. Of. Move along. Move along there, son. <laughs> That bugs me when that happens. Huh? <laughs> Come on, Lord, shape up. I feel like when I first watched Dr. Katz, uh, to me, the idea of uh, uh, stepping on one another's lines and apparent improv seemed obviously groundbreaking to me because I'd never really heard that before. It's, it's, it's good to know where, obviously, at this point, having gone to college and done some studying myself, I know that while your show didn't invent it, it certainly perfected it at the time for me. It's it's great to listen to. The, oh, no, this is kind of where it came from for you. I love I love having that. Like, I had Billy West on the show a couple weeks ago. That that podcast oh. hasn't aired yet. And he, yeah. he told me about, oh, yeah, well, you know, this is not just the Three Stooges were the source of uh, Ren and Stimpy, but this particular Three Stooges little yellow plastic album was the, the root for it. That's where I discovered it. Those little bits and pieces, those are what's kind of fun to discover. Now, you're not old enough to know about going into a into a little booth, and <laughs> it sounds like it could go very dark, this story, <laughs> but go, going into a little booth in Grand Central Station and recording your voice. No, no, I, that is something that... They still exist in a few places just, you know, for hipsters. But, uh, yeah, I've always yeah. regretted that I didn't live in a period of time when I could just go to a booth and pay a couple bucks. And, yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah ass- I'm assuming you have one. You must have one that you recorded or more. Uh, I'm looking around the room. I don't, but I have so many forms of, of audio recording that are obsolete. Mm-hmm. I have a machine called the El Cassette Recorder. Uh-huh. And that's a format that did not catch on. What is different from the cassette I would think of? 
it's much bigger than much like bigger. I said. It's it's like it was a step. Be- it was like trying to go from the cassette to the reel to reel with an extra step. Oh boy! It was the L cassette. I but I I kind of I've almost bought a few of those old not necessarily that but I've I've almost bought an Edison uh you know a cylinder recorder I I, I held back because it was expensive uh and then an Edison wire recorder which would have sounded like garbage but still would have been fascinating Oh my god that that'd be amazing to own that I know I almost and I'm pretty sure that it was at an estate sale I would have gotten it for less than fifty dollars and it still had you know unused you know oh. ugh yeah. I, and I love that stuff. I don't know why. I, I couldn't. I couldn't begin to tell you why. But yeah. it's just fascinating to me. Well, I have all these still photos of movie of movie studios, and the thing I like the most is looking at the audio equipment that they used. Mm-hmm. And there's also photos of Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, which is cool. But I, I go with the equipment. Have you always been obsessed with that? I, well, it was happening with my father who. Uh, at the time was working as a synagogue administrator in New York and brought home a Wollensack reel-to-reel. Mm-hmm. And that became my favorite toy for the next 10 years. Sure. And then I graduated to a TIAC stereo machine, then a TIAC four-track. But I've always... And then at, when I was in college, I learned how to bounce from one stereo machine to another one to do multi-track recording. And in fact, I'm next week I'm going to Vermont to get my uh, honorary doctorate degree. That's from Go- from amazing. Goddard College and that was my senior study was a recording of three blind mice. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, did, uh, now were you originally I'm assuming your early stuff that you were recording and being obsessed with your own voice, I only say that because I, I understand the I understand the realities of being obsessed with your own voice. But uh, were they you're just being goofy with yourself and your friends, and eventually, I mean, were you musical from? I mean, maybe I don't know how many people know like what a musician you are, but you're a musician uh, as well as a comedian. So how how early I guess did music enter into your recording? I would say by by age twelve makes sense maybe, maybe even earlier because my cousin paul and i wrote some of the worst songs ever <laughs> really bad i think that's one of the reasons my uncle hated me he didn't hate me that's too strong but he did die of a heart attack listening to me singing <laughs> no um what kind of stuff were you writing <laughs> die uncle die <laughs> what a horrible child yeah no, we wrote a song called uh, Igor. He's so cruel, he brings his monkey to school. <laughs> it was really terrible stuff. Um, and then I wrote one sweet song as a sort of a 12-year-old. I'll sing a tiny bit of it. Hey there, Miss Lovely, can I talk, can I talk? To you, I'm going to send you audio. Sorry, I can't. I can't even. But I did write some really good songs, and I even got one recorded commercially by Buzz Kaysen. Do you know that name? I don't, and I and I feel bad he, that I don't. Well, he, he wrote the song "Everlasting Love." Sure. In the seventies, "Everlasting Love," which was recorded by a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. 
and on the, and my song No Place for a Lady, written under the pseudonym Johnny Trevitt, was a B side on one of his on his songs. Holy crap! People don't even know B sides. Yeah, I know. I know it's not an issue anymore. You yeah. pick what you want. Wow. See, that's that's fascinating to me. So wait, what year is this that we're talking? Uh, this is in the, I guess, the 60s. I, I signed with a publisher, music publisher in the 60s, mm-hmm. and I gave the rights away to so many songs thinking that was a good thing. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought I was in show business. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. That's the draw. I... I often wonder too, like if if I would have stuck with comedy, if if I hadn't been better at something else necessarily. But you, it's interesting to me that you know, as well known as you are for comedy, that you got into it speci- with with well, what kind of music was it? That's that's my question. It was mostly original music and a, ca- a few cover songs, and the mm-hmm. songs were written by me, and I was the front man for the band. A mm-hmm. uh, couple of songs, one song I wrote with David Mamet called "This Heart Is Closed for Alterations." And that Robin Williams sang it on Mork and Mindy. My goodness. Um, and we did a cover song, cover songs, a lot of R&B cover songs. Uh, but most of the songs were original, and I had a a very beautiful young woman play bass. Her boyfriend was a great sax player. Mm-hmm. It was a five-piece band, and a good on a good night we made five hundred dollars, and we never had a good night. <laughs> oh, finally a joke! Finally, <laughs> oh. hey, don't expect anything from me because uh, you know I, I yeah. let every I, I save that for for my other podcasts, which are garbage, yeah. admittedly. Um, do you? So at this time, was comedy even a? a in your world, other than you enjoyed it and you were probably funny on your own with friends. I mean, when did yeah, you s- I, start doing I remember it? my first joke, and I feel like I'm dropping another name here, but my best friend in, in elementary school was Josh Mostel, the son of Zero Mostel. Holy cow, yeah, sure. And he once acu- said to me, and he was a very large kid, mm-hmm. and he said to me, you're bats in the belfry. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, thinking this was funny, and you're fats in the belly. That was my first joke. Oh my god! But um, <laughs> but I did get to says go to see him on Broadway and sit stand in the wings and watch half naked women walk out on stage. Of course. And um, that would have been in Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> <laughs> a wish. very risque production yeah. of Fiddler on the Roof. I guess that was a, a funny thing that happened on the way to the forum. I would hope so. Who was was Phil Silvers ever in the actual stage show of that? Am I just misremembering? I know he's in the film. No, I think he just the film. Just the I film. Think Zero Mustel was, and Jack Guilford were in the stage show. Okay, okay. My um, goodness, I I can't imagine seeing Zero Mustel live. That just wow. Yeah, and he also, my parents knew him through their days of, as lefties. Mm-hmm. And he, too, was subpoenaed. You know, people, anybody who was sort of a nice guy was subpoenaed. Yeah. They figure you're going to bend, I assume. Yeah. My God. Wow. I think Woody Allen did a movie about 
the blacklist. Maybe it was called the blacklist. I wish I knew. I wish I knew his 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 material better. I only know. <laughs> I I know the stuff that people don't respect as much. I really love "Take the Money and Run." Oh, I love that too. It's such a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Taxi. Yep. Taxi, taxi cab, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where to, friend? Going to the uh, Hotel Aston, room 518. <laughs> they stopped me on the fourth floor. Right? <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. I got you, I got you, I got you. That's quite a city you got out there, what you call your New York. Yeah, that's what we call it. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you there are eight million stories out there. That's probably the crossroad of a million private lives. Broken heart for every light bulb of the great white way. I like really goofy stuff, which is actually, which is another reason to bring it back to this album. One of the reasons I really enjoyed this, because it is very goofy and light in tone, except the stuff it's dealing with is, boy, oh boy, like so racially charged in, in such a great way. Yeah. Um, like I said, the, the subtitle sort of is the new emerging bigot. That's, I mean, that's, that's. <laughs> That's what most of this is. Uh, yeah, that, that, really, that's underlying in all of this. It's just it. It's this interesting fu to a, a, a time that they wish would go away. I feel like. What do you mean by an interesting fu? Uh, 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 I should have just said an interesting fuck you uh, instead of uh, yeah. instead of shortening I, I, it. That's that's okay. I, you know what word really drives me nuts is friggin. Friggin. Does that bother yeah. you? I I think it's so uh, without. Emotion. Sure. Oh, I agree. There's, there's no K. We can start there. There's no K yeah. sound. I get it. I understand about censorship, but sure. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of if there was anything else around the time of Lenny Bruce and Burns and Schreiber that was funny for me. Did you ever have you ever met Jack Burns? Did you ever meet Avery Schreiber before he went? No, I never saw them live. Um, but I did. I don't know if this is a song you've ever heard of. That a song that Bob Dylan. You should play this on your show because it's um. It's an obscure song of Bob Dylan's called "Lenny Bruce is Dead." You know, people have brought that up a few times on the show, and like an idiot, I've never looked it up. Yeah, I'll try to send you. Rob, can you remind me to send? Jason, that song. Um, it's another thing that arrived home by way of my uncle. Mm-hmm. See, that's that's a that's a fun thing. Like it, it's 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 a mixed bag. When I talk to comedians, of uh, did your parents bring comedy into the house, or were you introduced to it through friends? You had a, just this a great industry connection where I guess yeah. every once in a while you'd get comedy. Also, I hear my mother was very funny. Mm-hmm. I hear this from my friends. I, I just found her, uh, was wondering why she was hanging out with me and my friends, embarrassing me. <laughs> my dad w- loved my comedy mm-hmm. if he saw other people his age laughing. But this is his best joke, my father's best joke. Uh, 
Hey, Jason, did you hear about the fight at the bakery? I didn't. What happened? Uh, two rolls got fresh. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's what I was up against. <laughs> I had to find peace in that world. <laughs> oh. But what's interesting to me, though, is like you not you weren't just, oh, I tried music first. You didn't just try music. You did it, and, and you did it well what when did comedy happen comedy well th this is the short explanation when okay. i sang people talked <laughs> and when i talked people listened mm -hmm. and when i danced people left <laughs> so that's that's pretty that's the an abbreviated version of my transition from music to comedy but it seems then, I mean, you could have potentially then made your career as songwriter only if you'd have done that, but you needed to perform, I have to assume. Yeah, and I also could not write a hit song. I guess that would also yeah. change things, yeah. The closest I came was a song called The Locomotion. Oh, wow, well, there we go. Which, was, which I wrote for <laughs> Little Eva. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, but other people deny that. Sure, like that's the understandable. the guys who actually wrote the song. <laughs> You wrote a lot of Lead Belly's tunes too, didn't didn't you? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. In fact, I call I was the first guy to call him Lead Belly. Wow. He just went by Lead Better for a while, and you're like, listen. Yeah, that's not going to catch on. <laughs> uh, my, my other familial connection to the music business was mm -hmm. my father was going to marry Woody Guthrie's ex-wife after he passed away. But she didn't like my father's kids, meaning me and my sister. <laughs> so that didn't work out. That's unfortunate. But Ar Arlo Guthrie was, could have been my half-brother. I, I became wow, good yeah. friends with, with Nora Guthrie, his sister, mm -hmm. and Jody Guthrie, his brother. Would you get half-price um, tickets if you went to the Guthrie in Minnesota? Just curious if that were to happen, if that had no, gone I did, through. I did, I did perform at that theater. You did with with Robin Williams. I toured with Robin Williams. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. I was playing two songs on tour with Robin Williams. Um, Born to be punished and this heart is closed for alterations. Uh huh. And he sang them both, and as only he can. Mm hmm. When was this? Because I, mean, I, I see online that you're credited as musical director for his 1979 yeah. tour. Is this after what you're talking about now, or what? What are we talking well, this about? Is, uh, the tour was in '78, and it was one of the worst credits ever because he's not a musician; he's a comedian. Yeah, it'd be like in, it'd be like um, being the uh, in charge of comedy for Isaac Stern. Right. Right. To do all his witty quips between sonatas. <laughs> So see that so you, were you okay? So my, this is what's what's hurting my brain is the idea of him performing music, and that is something that would not have occurred to me. Well, here's how that happened: is that he his first wife, uh, a woman named Valerie, uh, was my girlfriend in college, and many years later she introduced us, and she said. Uh, Jonathan, I married this very funny guy, and he should do your songs. And I said, okay. 
yeah, I mean, who are you to turn that down? But wow, yeah. that's. And was it just for this one tour then that this happened? Yeah, but I mean, we we, we remained friends and we became fathers around the same time. Mm-hmm. So our, my oldest daughter hung out with his baby boy. Wow. What is. Okay, so, and because, my apologies for not knowing. What album. Did an album come from that tour? I have to imagine. Reality, what a concept. Okay, okay, I thought and so. And I think I have a credit on the album. I don't have a song, however. But you do have a credit on the album itself. Yeah, because I played acoustic guitar with a... Um, his opening act was this act called Rick and Ruby. Okay. A one, wonderful act from San Francisco, and they played electric guitar, and she sang, and there was a pianist named Josh Brody who was wonderful. Mm-hmm. But they they were very quirky, and I, I actually I could watch their act night after night. And Robin, I could only watch a couple of times because uh, his energy scared me. I can completely understand that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a. I mean it was. Uh, so, uh, it's a it's a trite comparison, but what it must have been like to be around Jonathan Winters, except maybe again, including the drugs, it had to have been its its own thing. Yeah. Wow. I once sold a vial of his urine for five hundred dollars <laughs> to some one of his fans, <laughs> and I wasn't even broke. <laughs> but um, no, this is he was so hot in seventy eight. Off of, off of Mark, Mark and Mindy. Mm-hmm. But he was an amazing talent. He really was. Um, and as an actor as well as a comedian. Well, sure. No, yeah, of course. I mean, that's it's 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 so hard to... That energy can be so... Like you said, it can be scary, maybe to some off-putting... Uh, we just did a tribute episode to him a few weeks ago, a live episode that was a tribute to Robin. And, uh, I mean, that's one of those things we talk about where you, some people don't necessarily appreciate the skill that went into being that crazy on stage. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, like to be in front of it, I can, again... Maybe, again, not necessarily even intimidating, but definitely it's like, where the hell is this coming from? Yeah. That, it would make me anxious. I know the person I am, I can tell that would make me incredibly anxious to be around, but fascinating. Yeah, the last time I saw Robin was at, a, at the Four Seasons in Boston. Mm-hmm. And I told him a joke, and it just... He was such a generous laugher. Mm-hmm. And I told him I had seen a production of the Vagina Monologues with Senuensis. <laughs> and um, he would turn a joke into like a half hour bit. Yeah. But um, he was an amazing guy. Dave's a ladies' man. He's what we call your ladies' man. I say, Dave, you're a nut. Get out of here, Dave. I say that to him a lot. Get out of here. I don't mean that. You know, I just say that to him. Get out of here, Dave. Dave's a hot... You know what Dave did? you got a minute. Listen to this. Dave brings this... He brings this tie with him to the convention. It shines in the dark. Yeah, that's funny. Huh? <laughs> that's funny. Huh? That's funny. Huh? Huh? That's funny. All right, all right. That's only half of it. Now, listen. On one side, on one side of the tie, it says, win with Wilkie, see? Mm. You turn it over on the other side, it says, screw you, buddy. What a hot <laughs> job. 
Geez, we had him up there last night in the hotel room for three hours in the dark looking at that tie. What a night that was. What a night that was. Well, this guy sounds like a hot ticket. Oh, man. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're gonna start telling me how funny Dave Cronin is? Don't start telling me about Dave Cronin, for God's sakes. Dave and I go back for years. You're gonna start telling me about Dave? Don't start telling me about Dave, my friend. Don't ever start with me about Dave Cronin. I'm sorry I brought it up. All right. right. And here we go. Yes, I do see your yeah. credit. They, they probably, the audience would have heard me pulling this out of the sleeve, but yes, you are credited as a musician on that album. Yeah. Third musician. It doesn't say third musician, but you are the third. Not that not that the credit order matters. I'm just saying. I, no. I, I'm surprised I never noticed it. Uh, I have listened to this a number of times. I'm, I'm shocked that I've never noticed your name. Uh, that's uh, that's kind of the interesting thing, too, is a, a lot of names that I'll interview on the show or we'll talk about will weave in and out of other people's projects, and people are, are usually... Yeah. They don't always mention that they were involved in a sideways way in somebody else's somebody else's project. Did you ever? Okay, so we've got well, a lot I'm, of. I'm, yeah, go I'm ahead. I'm getting another call and it's going to stop making that beep in a sound in a second. Okay. Okay. You you can take the call and record it if you want. No, no. Um, but I was going to mention another connection I had to the credibility gap. Oh yeah. Who, who I think I forget who was talking about that. Um. Yeah, Greg Benson, uh, yeah. hilarious guy, a YouTube personality. We were talking and about. I, I met David Lander through the wonderful world of MS. Oh, for sure, yeah. Because, and this is this is a trick question. In my home, I have an Emmy Award, a Cable Ace Award, an award an award from the MS Society of, called the Gift of Laughter Award, which was presented by David Lander to me. And which of those three awards do you think mean the most to me? The assumption is number three, but you're Jonathan Katz, so I want to know your actual answer. Come on, take a guess. I'm going to say number three. Which one was that? The the MS award. No, it's the Emmy because I'm an asshole like everybody else. (laughs) That's fine. That's that's you know what I you are you were more than free to admit it. I mean like I mean, you've yeah. been, you've been a gentleman so far to me. But I'll, I'll yeah. you know no. But David Lander and I had such a great time at this convention mm-hmm. because I discovered that what people do at these conventions is they get high. <laughs> I had no idea. It makes sense. Uh, you've earned it. Yeah. <laughs> that that is a guy. That is a guy who I would... Uh, he's another guy whose involvement in the comedy that I love, I feel like, was underrated until, you know, I discovered The Credibility Gap years ago when I first grabbed one of their albums. And, uh, you know, in my head, he was just from Laverne and Shirley until, oh, crap. Yeah. Oh, crap. This guy's a brilliant, brilliant genius. And, uh, wow. Yeah. I, have you ever talked to him about that? Uh, the world of that kind of comedy, since you do really enjoy no, audio I, comedy? You know, when he was in, in Boston once, we, he came to my home and we recorded together. Um, and it was about, he played a sports announcer named uh, Brian Askew. Mm-hmm. Which is just, just the name itself is such a Fantastic. wonderful setup for a bit. 
but I, I'm sure he, you know, he lives in LA. I'm sure he would be happy to do your show. That would be great. I, I have reached out to him, and uh, that would be something. Uh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I don't he's know hilarious. what kind of physical shape he's in, because it takes a different course in everybody. MS. For sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of who else has a connection to comedy in those days. Did you ever get Lenny Bruce's daughter on the show? That's another person I've reached out to. I've tried to get her on the show a few times. And that's something we've interviewed, you know, the the sons and daughters of, of some of my favorite comedians, and we hope to do more of that also. Yeah. But uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll find out a few of them are friends already. So, I like, for instance, uh, Kelly Carlin and, and Rob Newhart, I'm going to try and get them both on the same episode to talk about Richard Pryor, because I think that would be a lot of fun. This is just a what, what we used to call a coincidence, mm-hmm. is that... Richard Pryor and I have the same birthday and the same and the same illness that he had. Not that's not his biggest medical problem, but he did have MS. Sure. Um and it's the same birthday it's shared by Woody Allen and Sarah Silverman. That's interesting. And then also a guy named Ed Hochstein. That is also uh, that is equally interesting even though I don't know the name. Ed Hochstein is a financial planner who couldn't make it in comedy. <laughs> Jeez, I'm so predictable. <laughs> do you do you have a favorite line off of this album? I had to write down some of mine that that kind of stuck um, out. I'm just trying to think. There was something about. It might be in the cab thing about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess Jack Burns is talking about uh, what it was what it's like at conventions he goes to. Uh huh. And he said, "Oh, I was up there all night with this guy. We had we had to win, win with Wilkie ties." <laughs> um, puts talks about putting a, a lampshade on his head, which is a big deal in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never quite saw the appeal of that, but. Um, let me see about in the um in the faith healer one mm-hmm. uh, I think um they do say Kilikami for Christ, which is one of my favorite yeah. lines in that and also bit. um the reverend's name is is uh, moly, yeah, <laughs> so he says, holy moly, <laughs> so ridiculous, but I love it um they just were nuts, those guys are great um. The Sound of the Communist Frog, I mentioned that already. Yes, right, right, right. I'm going to do my impression of a communist frog. And then, right. you can, then you can uh, play theirs. This, this, is, this is how I would portray a communist frog. <clears throat> Ribbed. <laughs> um, and they have a totally different approach. They certainly do. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what else I could do that with their... There is a bit where he's asking one gentleman about it, and uh, his accent seems to reveal quite a bit to the to the reverend. Oh, yeah. He's, I'm yeah. a convoit. <laughs> yeah. And also, so one of my favorite lines is, um, he the first time he's trying to be healed, is he he's portraying a guy with a, with a immobile thumb. Yes. And and Jack Burns says, "Immobility, immobility, immobility." How many times have I heard that tiresome phrase? 
three times. <laughs> I, yeah, that was Avery Schreiber who said three times. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, the years go by and they forget your veterans. Yeah. Now you go into a bar room, you see a girl, you say, I'm a veteran, you know what they say? Forget it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So what, they say. But in them days, it was yeah. something else. Oh, listen, I put on a few pounds, I admit it. The years go by, they roll by, they go by. Yeah, they're, they're gone. gone. They're gone. <laughs> but in them days, they were all over me. Hey, listen, buddy, if you like, I can make a little stop before you go back to your hotel room. I can wait till I get back to the hotel. <laughs> I don't think we're talking about the same thing. Oh, 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 I know who you're talking about. What, your women, huh? Yeah, yeah, huh? yeah, huh? yeah, women, huh? women. I'm yeah. talking about the women. Uh, not for my friend Pass, El Paso on that. No, no, I don't. I don't go that now. Yeah, Listen. well, you know, don't take it as an insult. Well, it's my job. Yeah. Well, here you are, buddy. Huh? We're here. Oh. That's a uh, buck forty-five. Yeah. So, what are you? Uh, you drive a cab, huh? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You're lucky. You caught me when I was. Yeah. <laughs> it's this. It's this interesting mix of like. Obviously, these guys come from uh, this new emerging. Not all that new, I guess. In nineteen. Uh, what do we say? Nineteen seventy. Uh, no, this is nineteen sixty-five. So it's it's yeah. newer. This 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 form of uh, uh, of improv. But there's also. There's always this uh, uh, temptation to go a little shticky, which is fine because that's I love that kind of comedy. But it is funny listening to that mix because you don't find it as much in in improv where people are taking it a lot, I guess, more seriously for whatever reason. Um, so you don't find like the temptation to go shticky as you as you might. Then. You know, you said you've said the word shticky. I twice love the word. Now, yep. Which should I which, say it again? Which makes me feel like you should book Andy Kindler on your podcast. <laughs> He, he is already booked, and I, I don't know when that's going to okay. happen, but I, I am so excited for whenever that is. <laughs> yeah. He's so wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely he is. And, that, and that's... When, I, when, I, when, I, when he's in therapy with me mm-hmm. on stage, which, he, mm-hmm. which we've been doing lately, he says, Dr. Katz, are you doing shtick? <laughs> yeah, he's wonderful, Andy oh. Kendler. God, it's a genius. Uh, and there's uh, there's there are only certain types of comedians who can keep alive a certain type of humor without it seeming uh, like a hack move. Like you can still build on these older forms of comedy. I mean, otherwise improv wouldn't still be alive either, because it's just a tool. It's a fun tool that yeah. you can use. You know. Um. You know when we before we did Doctor Katz, I would go out to, to see live improv with with my friend Tom Snyder, the co-creator of the show. Mm-hmm. And we decided we didn't like it that much. Yes. Yeah. they should just do the funny parts. <laughs> right. Which is why editing became so valuable. Sure. I mean, that's... Uh, and that that's another huge, huge thing, too, is there is... There are a couple examples in that period uh, of when Dr. Katz came out uh, of stuff that's... That feels improvised, uh, and usually is, but also has the benefit of editing. Yours has more of the benefit of editing than a Christopher Guest documentary, but there are these these things that may be, <laughs> not that you're responsible for this, but these things that may 
everybody think they could improvise. And uh, a lot of people are trying to recapture the magic of, again, Dr. Katz or any Christopher Guest movie. One of those people is Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Sure, sure. Who, who asked Tom Snyder how he could possibly get such a natural sound. Mm-hmm. He would never... Uh, he's not big with the attribution, Larry mm. David. That happens. That'll happen. Yeah. In this in this in this business. Uh, <laughs> is that where we have to leave it? I feel like we have to leave that. that I think so. I mean, there. he married he married my ex manager, so our lives became sort of intermingled for a while there. That is interesting. I don't yeah. know what to make of that. Well, I think the the what I made of it is that she didn't really find me attractive. Oh, that's Van Morrison phones. <laughs> I gave him his own ringtone. That's you're so generous. Yeah. Um. Let's see if they left a message. It was coming from two one three, which is your neighborhood. That is true. Van lives right down the street. Yeah. Um, do you remember, is there, uh, just because I really do like this cover, do you remember, are there any particular albums in terms of album art, since you, it seems like you got brought home a lot of stuff, was there anything in oh particular that stood I, out to you? I wanted to decorate the basement of my home with album artwork, mm-hmm. but my wife uh, had other plans. Yeah, that'll happen. So, I mean, I did throw out some amazing album covers. Most of them were music. I don't think any were comedy. See, that's that's the thing about like. I mean, I I think by I just have to because I do this podcast. I do have one at least half of a wall are a lot of album covers that I particularly love. But there's never enough room for all the ones that I especially. I just keep discovering newer and newer ones, or getting signed ones on occasion, like from Firesign Theater or Rusty Warren. Uh, yeah. I, I love having those as a reminder. They're nice. I mean, the, these bits of art. I actually have a friend who I think he just said he's going to be framing. He's got enough copies of this one fire sign album that he's cut it in half so he can frame the entire piece as one long one long piece of art, which is kind of great. I have to revisit Fire Sign Theater because I, I was a <clears throat> little too distracted at the time they came out. Mm-hmm. Understandable. A lot of a lot of people were. I feel like yeah. that's that's why that that's one of the reasons why they're not as they're not given nearly as much credit as 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 they they deserve. Um, you know, uh, for breaking a lot of a lot of new ground or a lot of ground that might have been being broken at the same time by other people who were then more recognized recognized yeah, for it. I, you got a you got a long back catalog to go through, but there's a lot of great stuff in there. Yeah. Well, the good news is that. Uh, I have all the time in the world. No, I don't. I wish I did. <laughs> but I think, tell me when you feel like we, we are have a comfortable amount of material for you to work with. Yeah, I was actually just about to ask you if you're going to recommend this album for people to listen to if they don't know who Burns and Schreiber are, or even if they do and they're not familiar with this type of material. What's a good reason to listen to this album and give this one a listen as their first bit of exposure to them? Well, I'm just I just I'm missing another call, which is okay. The reason the reason to listen to Burns and Schreiber is because they're silly, they're incredibly well rehearsed. Mm-hmm. They 
are almost like a, a musical on uh, the, the, they're very there's a lot of musicality in their act mm-hmm. with the exception of Avery Schreiber playing the guitar which I don't <laughs> think is necessary <laughs> right um, but just the way their voices work together and the way they step on each other's lines and it's that wonderful thing where they cut each other off in a comedic way um and i think it's it's it just politically potent it's a really wonderful picture of what life was like at that time yeah, I mean, it's not even necessarily the hippie aesthetic. It's its own thing. And I like that, that we can find something from uh, this period that's got its own feeling to it. I mean, it's these two guys that are d- doing all the, making all their commentary through very seemingly silly sketches that underneath them are a lot deeper. Yeah. You know, they, they, they had their own show for, yeah. after that. And they were appeared on the Dean Martin show. Which is a credit I don't have, unfortunately. Um, but uh, you, you know, you were talking about Robin's genius and backtracking a little bit. He had the same gift that Letterman had was to make things appear spontaneous. Sure. And that's such an amazing talent. Yeah, I mean the I idea of, of retreading something <clears throat> like even like this. It starts out in, as, as improv and making it again to be able to interrupt somebody and and act as though you made that decision or to act like you're being interrupted for the first time. That's there's an awful lot of skill there. Yeah. My dad went to, came to see me on Letterman one night, and he the first, he asked the producer who was Bob Morton at the time. Mm-hmm. He said to him, "Do you really need all these people?" <laughs> he couldn't believe how many people were involved in making a, a half hour of comedy. That's fantastic. The size of the crew. But um, I think we should maybe take a break for a few years. No, I mean, maybe maybe stop now. And uh, Where can people follow you online? Twitter? On Twitter? You can follow me on Twitter. I don't know how you do that. How do you follow me on Twitter, Rob? You just search for Jonathan Katz. Yeah, you search for my name. Easy enough. My Twitter handle is, I think, Jonathan... Jonathan Yeah, Jonathan underscore Katz. Okay. Yeah, I think that's that's the best place to find me. Sounds good. I'm a habitual tweeter. So go go follow Jonathan Katz on Twitter. Go watch him live. Thank you guys for listening, and thank you for being here. Thank you for doing the show. I really do appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Jason, my pleasure. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. Vinyl.com.